How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to the penultimate episode of Generation X Labs. This is episode 11, and uh, yeah, we're really getting close to the end here. How about that? Uh, felt like it was never going to come, and uh, now it feels like it's getting here way too quickly. Let's just get right into it here. This is Generation X number number 86, had a March 2018 cover date. Story's called Survival of the Fittest Part 2, I'm assuming. It doesn't have a title inside the book, but... We do have that banner on the uh, cover that says Survival of the Fittest, and since this is the second part of that, I am, uh, I'm putting two and two together here and uh, coming up with the, uh, the idea that this is a part two. Written by Christina Strain with art by Amilcar Pinna, colors Felipe Sobrero, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, edits Robinson Shan, Panizia, and Alonzo, cover price $3.99. This one went on sale January 17 of 2018. And uh, we start with our roll call as per usual. Our characters include Jubilee, Bling, Kid Omega, Nature Girl, Morph, Hindsight, and iBoy. And we open on Krakoa. Oh, what, what, what show is this again? <clears throat> oh, There, Quentin Choir is practicing shooting psychic skeet using some Krakoan coconuts. Which sounds kind of dirty, but I, I assure you it's, it's not. Then, he notices the blackbird hovering in the sky above. And so, he asks Kid Krakoa to suddenly jerk to the side a bit before the, uh, the aircraft lands. Now, Jubilee, the only passenger on the Blackbird, is not amused at all. Now, I didn't realize Jubilee knew how to pilot an aircraft. Maybe I'm just not supposed to be thinking about that. Anyway, she lands and heads into Quentin's cabana, where he is busily playing video games. Like, lots and lots of video games here. We see... A PlayStation 4, a Super Nintendo, a DS, and I, I want to say an Xbox 360 here as well. There's also a whole lot of mess, because he's a slob. I mean, we see your classic can pyramid, uh, some empty bottles, open Chinese takeout containers. It's, it's kind of like the show that your character is a slob starter kit that I think they sell at uh, Costco. Now, Jubilee comments on the mess, and for some ungodly reason, decides to pick up a rather crunchy towel that had been flung over the couch, and she asks if it's clean, to which I'd figure, um, maybe don't ask questions you don't want the answer to. Quentin does answer this question, and I, you know, I try to keep this show all ages, but, uh, Quentin suggests that, uh, if you see a towel in a young man with extremely fast internet speeds room, you probably ought not pick it up. 
He then insults her, calling her a failure, just like her loser squad students, who he secretly wishes came along with her to check in on him because he's really a great big softy, you see. Jubilee composes herself before lashing out and remembers what Nathaniel had told her about Quentin, really being a great big softy. And so she kind of lets his insults slide. She then asks if Quentin will please come home with her. She says his fellow students all want him there, to which he calls BS. Jubilee assures him that it's not, and tells him that she will help him find his way there. But in order for her to do so, he's going to have to let her, and also let the loser squad be his family. Quentin lashes out into a phoenix rage, filling Jubilee and those of us who don't read Thor in on recent adventures he had over in that book. And, since this is uh, the half-assed Marvel Legacy era, we actually do get an editorial footnote which directs us over to The Mighty Thor, Volume 3, Number 19, which came out nearly a year before this issue, uh, May 17th, 2017. Makes me figure that maybe someone finally filled Christina Strain in on what was uh, you know, Quentin was up to before this book started. Uh, it's worth noting that that Thor story is called The Asgard Shi'ar War, and, you know, if I had to make a guess, that's probably the story that fills the spinner racks in hell. Because, oof. Um, now, now, also during that story, you know, he got his phoenix powers, but he also offered to uh, bring Sophie Cuckoo back to life. But she turned him down. So, uh, yeah, how, how things have changed with, uh, with mutants not wanting to come back to life. And, uh... Well, Quentin is with a cuckoo now in the, in the pages of X-Force. It's Phoebe, though, not Sophie. Now, this chat is interrupted when Jubilee gets a message on her Apple Watch, which informs her that the school is gone. Well, the art and the storytelling didn't make that overly clear last issue, so I guess it's a good thing to know. She tells Quentin that the school and everyone in it had disappeared, and our boy QQ actually looks quite troubled. Now, I mean, last issue, it just looked like things were, like, displaced, like... They were there, but not there, but I guess they're just not there. And so let's shift scenes over to the displaced Xavier Institute of Shoe Shining, Ethical Hacking, and Fermentation Sciences, where the kids are in the chem lab trying to get Shogo to shut up, you know, lest Monet and her disgusting vampire hand find them. Now, Chamber calls out to them psychically with a plan uh, when he signals they're to fleet-foot it out of there with the tot. Now, that signal turns out to be him unleashing a great big blast of fire into Monet's face. And I guess that's about as unsubtle as it gets, and thankfully so, because uh, the loser squad doesn't even question it. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is all they do is run into, like, another nearby classroom. Or maybe it's Paige's makeshift counseling room, which, if that is the case, I suppose isn't in midtown Manhattan like it appeared to be a few issues back. A little, uh, a little weird spatial um, <laughs> discontinuity there. Anyway, there they run into Paige, who's comforting Roxy, who's in the middle of another panic attack. We then see across the room where Hellion and Surge have already been taken out by M-Plate. In the hallway, Chamber is fighting Monet, and Husk tears off some skin to join in the fracas. She and Monet kind of sass at one another for a bit before the latter unleashes some sort of energy blast. Just what in the hell are Monet's powers, according to this book, anyway? Basically, whatever they need them to be, I guess. Anyway, this energy blast uh, causes chunks of ceiling in the room that the Loser Squad are in to come crashing down, and Benji dives under some falling debris before it can hit Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's like, why did you do that? And Benji's like, well, you kind of know why. And so Nate pulls Benji's collar up over his mouth and then kisses him. 
Finally. Uh, he says he was an idiot for wanting to remain just friends with Benji, and uh, it's about damn time, right? Then, Monet and Husk come crashing through yet another wall. I'm surprised there are any walls left. Paige is trying to get through to the real Monet, but M-Plate ain't having none of it. Nate then goes to smash Monet in the back of her head with a plank of wood. This does not go so well, but it does get her attention. And so she grabs our POV guy by the face, which triggers his roguish mutant ability. And we see three panels of M's history here. Only one of these panels comes from the long ago, and it's basically just her and Jubilee being mean girls to one another, because uh, it's Marvel Legacy, we gotta remember our past. The next is from that weird Uncanny X-Men volume where she and M-Plate merged, and the last is her talking with DOA before this attack. And it's here that we find out that it's DOA who pulled the whole unsinking of the school gimmick, which I didn't know it was pa- that was his power, and I also, in fairness, didn't know it wasn't, so there you go. Now, while we're seeing Monet's memories, we also get a glimpse of Nathaniel's, or I guess Monet does, and us by proxy. Now, we see that his mother beat him, like literally whipped him. I'm not sure if this had anything to do with, like, maybe she found out he was gay or something. I, it's not clear here if she's just an awful person or just, a, well, an awful person in another way. Now, we find out that Nate's father knew all about this abuse but did nothing to stop it. Finally, we see him with his old boyfriend, and uh, we see how their relationship fell apart due to his uncanny abilities because despite the fact that his, his beau wasn't talking about it, Nathaniel knew that he had uh, feelings for another. Now, the most important bit for this pressing story, however, is the uh, the DOA thing. You know, he's the one behind the, the desinking here. And so, Nature Girl and I, boy, go searching the grounds for the little fella. And Roxy stays behind to face her fears and fight M-Plate. Uh, it doesn't take the team long to find DOA, because, uh, I mean, in fairness, it's, it's I-Boy. And he could pretty much see anything he needs to. Now, DOA's in a cellar, which Nature Girl sends a bunch of rats down in to draw the little geek out. I-Boy recalls Lynn telling him that she didn't trust rats and how they always wanted something in return when asked for a favor. And she just cracks her knuckles and says, this time it'll be worth it. Back inside, Roxy has gotten her butt kicked by Monet. Now, before the baddie can go in for the kill, Jubilee arrives, so I guess we're no longer desynced then. Okay. Quentin is also there, and he sees Benji cradling Nathaniel and jokes that he's surprised that these two are even still alive. Monet remembers that Jubilee's a vampire and references that one issue before Counter-X kicked off with uh, the Monet the Vampire Slayer cover. I mean, Marvel Legacy, everybody, we gotta remember. She grabs Jubilee's amulet and throws her outside on the lawn. The thing is, here, Jubilee cannot survive the sunlight without the amulet, so she's going to burn up. And, in fact, she does begin to burn up right before her team. Now, it's here where Quentin Quire taps into his Phoenix powers to... Devampify and remutantify Jubilation Lee. So she's far less flang and a whole lot more path. And we're out of here. Well, that was the uh, that was the scene that we read this entire series to see. Um, I knew that uh, Jubilee became uh, devampified and remutified uh, in this series, and that was basically the entire reason for this endeavor. I wanted to see how that played out, and uh, well, yeah, we saw it play out, didn't we? Um, it's basically the uh, the X-Men uh, variation on a wizard did it, right? Uh, Quentin Choir just does the thing, which, I mean, is all well and good, and it's perfectly fair in the uh, presentation. But it's one of those things that, if you stop to think about it, you wonder, like, why hasn't he just been re people, right? 
you know, uh, this is, of course, post-M Day. Uh, we have some mutants back. It's not the way it was. Um, we still have the, you know, the pretender out there who had uh, de- uh, or no more mutantified uh, a million mutants. I don't know why Quentin is uh, being so stingy with his powers here, other than the fact that he's, you know, kind of a dick. I guess that could be the whole thing here. Um, I don't know where Quentin's Phoenix powers went. That might be a uh, project for later. Um, I do know that there was the uh, the Psy War, or whatever they were calling it, toward the tail end of the Jean Grey, uh, on, well, <laughs> technically ongoing series that ran like 11 issues, but... Uh, Maybe that's something we'll have to uh, check in on and uh, get a better understanding of these Phoenix powers and uh, why he doesn't have them anymore and why they are now uh, attached to Echo over in the Avengers. I mean, I've got the Jean Grey books probably three feet away from me right now, so maybe maybe we'll do a Generation X-Lapse show. I mean, that sounds really stupid, but... Uh, I've done worse, so maybe we'll do Generation X Labs to see how that all plays out. I've been intrigued to check it out. I've definitely been intrigued to check that series out. I've heard good things about it, but I don't hear much about it, so it might be worth a visit or a dip sometime down the line. But that's really um, like the main takeaway from this issue here. And I mean, of course it is, because Jubilee hadn't been a mutant for... Near 15 years at this point, if I'm not mistaken So it's a pretty big deal to see her back And having her uh, rolled fireworks powers here Fills in some blanks for us who were ex-lapsed You know, not knowing how these powers came back And uh, not really digging the vampire thing enough To even really be able to speak to it uh, Jubilee, since she became a vampire In that uh, awful Victor Gishler um, opening arc in X-Men Volume 3 I kind of she was kind of like out of sight, out of mind for me. I, I know she's been with the X Men, and I know she was part of the uh, that all uh, women team that uh, popped up probably during one of the Marvel Nows. I don't know which one because there were like four of them in a row, but uh, she was part of that team, and I think that's where she found Shogo, and it was tied up with the Sublime organization and a lot of stuff that uh, kind of makes me glaze over. Maybe one of these days we'll. Uh, when I invent, you know, five or six more days every week, we'll, uh, we'll dig into those as well. Another big takeaway here, uh, we have Benji and Nathaniel. Finally, finally, uh, not so much sealing the deal, but at least kissing. Um, at least admitting, Nathaniel, at least admitting that he has feelings uh, for Benji, Benji and realizes that uh, he was foolish to try to deny that and... Uh, and disrespectful in, you know, not allowing them to experience uh, potential joy and a hopefully fruitful relationship between the two. So it kind it's kind of weird that it took Benji literally saving his life for him to notice this. But uh, I don't know, baby steps, right? I thought that was pretty cool. I like the way uh, the you know he utilized Benji's collar, you know, so he, they wouldn't do the skin to skin contact because I, I mean they're still. There, there are still things that need to be protected, right? If he were to kiss Benji and would have gotten some strange thoughts, it would have, it might have soured the scene for him a little bit. So, and now we see that, you know, when uh, M or M Plate, I guess, touched Nathaniel, she sort of got his memories. I think I'm not really sure how this presentation was going here because we did see it. It's like a two-page spread of Monet holding uh, Nathaniel's face, right? 
And on, on one of the pages, we see all these scenes of, pay, of, uh, of Monet's past. And then on the other page, we see all these scenes of Nathaniel's past. So I don't know if that means that there's a, like, a fluid exchange of memories here. So, like, if anybody that, that Nathaniel touches... Like, does he have to, like, consciously keep his memories inside? So, like, when he was touching Quentin to, like, find out some information a couple issues ago, Quentin didn't suddenly get all of Nathaniel's memories, right? So maybe it's something he has to, like, consciously keep inside. So if he is lost in, I mean, Monet attacked him, so he's going to be in a weakened state uh, mentally, right? And maybe not have the same amount of control over his... Over his memory-based powers As he would have normally Just like when he touched Quentin here He probably was hyper-focused On not sharing information with Quentin But here we have him kissing Which, I mean, that that could put you In a very vulnerable state as well You can kind of let yourself go You could just get lost in the moment with With your partner, with your significant other And it becomes all about that moment Where you lose Uh... You lose uh, maybe composure. You lose a lot of um, awareness, right, of uh, of certain things. So maybe in the heat of passion, if he's kissing Benji, maybe some of his memories would just be, you know, let out into the ether, and uh, Benji would see some of them, and maybe that would cause some sort of uh, potential strife. You never, you never know. You never know. But I was definitely happy to see uh, a little bit of maturation in their relationship. It's uh, almost a shame that we only have one more issue with them, and I really don't know if we see these two after this uh, after this volume is uh, no more. I don't think we've seen them on Krakoa. Um, I really can't say if we've seen them any time since here. So uh, I guess we'll just have to uh, wait and see. And uh, I tried not to check out the uh, the old wikis here because. Uh, the only thing I check out on the wiki is the sale day, so I can say this went on sale on yada yada yada. I don't want to know anything about the characters because I'm afraid that's going to spoil us, and I'm trying to receive these as I would have, you know, in, in, in contemporarily. You know, like if I was buying these on the day it went out on sale, read it right away, and didn't have anything to kind of. Uh, Hold my hand or skew my perspective and uh, give me something that I should be paying attention to or looking forward to or or just seeing on the horizon. So I haven't read any of their wikis here. Maybe after I do uh, issue 12, or not issue 12, issue 87, I guess it is, 87, then maybe we'll uh, do a sort of kind of deep dive on these two characters. Uh, We can can do a fake-ass comics history on, on uh, not iBoy, on Hindsight and uh, Morph. We'll we'll play with that as we we move forward here. Uh, Speaking of maturation... Roxy staying uh, behind to uh, to fight Monet. I, I mean, that was basically what her character's been building to this whole time, you know. And I think this is a really cool way to do it. And even cooler is that she didn't win, because had she won, I think that would have been a little too neat and a little too convenient. Um, and you, I think you can learn a lot more in losing than in winning sometimes, uh, especially. When you're when you're trying to rally yourself to overcome fear and make yourself a person that maybe you're not, or maybe you're just not yet, like Roxy sees herself as a shoo-in to the X-Men here, and when she finds out she's not, she becomes all about proving that she is. So had she just beaten Monet up here, it would have been like, oh, well, she was right all along, you know? Where she very well might be right, but you need to get there. 
I think the victory will be sweeter if she if she actually matures a bit rather than just saying, you know what, I'm done being scared, and then wins. So uh, this was very well done. I like her not only just in general, but I like this arc a lot for her here. I mean, we've seen her freeze up, we've seen her have panic attacks, we've seen her crying, we've seen her running away, and here, finally, despite the fact that she gets her butt kicked, she faces her fear, and uh, that's a good thing, and I think that's... Um, one of the net positives that'll come out of this volume that uh, that I think pretty much everyone except us has forgotten about. So that's a that's a decent enough thing. I mean, she she will go on to become a fallen angel, and uh, well, there are a few worse fates than that, aren't there? But uh, for now, uh, I think this is <laughs> pretty good stuff here. But I think that's all I got to say. Uh, Amilcar Pinna's work is Amilcar Pinna's work. Um, still not my favorite, but a little bit less. Um, a little bit less of an obstacle for me than it was in the earliest issues here. But then again, the earliest issues, I found the story to be very, very poor as well, where now it feels like it's coming together. It took a long, long time to get the wheels under this one, which is unfortunate, especially in the current climate uh, of the comic book industry, where it's like you don't always have the time. You know, uh, Marvel especially will pull the rug out from under you right away. So... That's like a word to the wise here. If you're if you're given a project that might be a little niche, you know, hit the ground running, because you don't have. I know you want the six issue trade, you know, but we don't need six issues of putting a team together. That is a tremendous waste of precious paginal real estate, and at the end of the day, it's a uh, kind of a slap in the face to people paying money for it because we don't want to wait. You know, and I, I hope that doesn't sound, what, what's that word that people say about us comic book fans now? Uh, entitled? But uh, you got to understand the realities of the industry. And if we're six or seven issues in and we're finally like, okay, I get it now, that's still four or five issues too late to, to get to that point. But uh, I think that's all I got to say about this penultimate issue of Generation X. And uh, next time out, we will wrap this thing up. I am looking forward to it. I hope you are as well. Now let's hop into contact information. If you'd like to reach out, say how much you love and or hate Generation X, or anything that we talk about here on the show, please feel free to do so. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, Instagram at 90sXmen, or you could shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. I also opened up a voicemail. Since we are coming up to the 200th episode of X-Labs, I thought it would be a fun idea to just... Open up a, uh, a voicemail. I don't know if we'll keep it forever. If uh, people like it, I guess we can. So if you'd like to call in and leave a message here, you could call 623-396-5375. And if that's hard to remember, just think of it as 623-396-JERK. As in, as in you know, Professor Xavier is a uh, and uh, nothing off color, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to get uh, any of those kind of calls here, right? But uh, yes, 623-396-JERK is where you get a hold of uh, the X-Lapsed program and leave all your wonderful messages there. Uh, you could find blog posts and show notes over at chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You could join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. It's growing every week and we're having a great time talking about New, old, and future X stuff there. It's a real fun conversations. I hope to see you there. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary 
chatter needs, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Uh, and uh, if you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort behind it, I would love for you to uh, spread the word, share the show, tell two friends and ask them to tell two friends, just like uh, that old shampoo commercial. So that would really, really mean the world to me. And uh, speaking of which, it means the world to me that you'd share some of your day with me today. So thank you all so, so much. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.